The views and opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. This is a pre-recorded broadcast of Therapy in a Nutshell. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR Radio, 96.5 FM and 1460 AM, your talk radio. Today, we're going to talk about an important and difficult subject, and I have a special guest here with me in the studio that I'll be introducing in just a moment. We are going to be talking about first responder PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, And it's a very important subject, and it is an extremely uh, neglected subject in terms of what is it and what do you do if you have it. My special guest in the studio here is recently retired Battalion Chief Will Francis of the Reading Fire Department. He has uh, been a firefighter for 34 years. He was a firefighter for a year with Cal Fire, right, Well, And then 33 years with Reading Fire Department. What I think is really cool about this man is that he started out as an 18-year-old rookie learning how to be a firefighter and worked his way up through the ranks all the way up to battalion chief. And he has been an incredible force in the Reading Fire Department and is a man of some very, very special and deep, important characteristics. But he is here to talk to us about PTSD with first responders from a personal experience, from a professional experience, and from an administrative experience. And we can't beat that. And, I, Will, I just want to tell you I'm deeply grateful that you are here and willing to be vulnerable and tell us the things that other firefighters, other um, EMTs and uh, ambulance drivers and police officers need to understand. This is also very, very good information for military personnel, but we are going to focus primarily on first responder PTSD. But PTSD is PTSD, whether it's from an abusive childhood or a difficult sexual experience or if you are someone who serves our country. So I'd like to say thank you for your service to the city of Reading for 33 years. You're welcome. (laughs) And thank you so much for being here today, Will. Uh, I appreciate you asking Thank you. So what we're going to do in this first segment of the show is we're going to talk about what is PTSD and how do we recognize it. And Will's going to chime in. We're just going to have a conversation here about it because he is very experienced with PTSD and has a lot of really good information. So from a psychological point of view, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, we even don't want to call it a disorder anymore. It is not a mental illness, although the DSM-5 likes to call it that. It is something that people have gone through, and it is how you try to cope with trauma, with difficult situations. So I don't want you to think of it as if you have PTSD, you're mentally ill. You're struggling, and you're trying to cope. So what happens is when we go through difficult experiences, whether it's a car accident or uh, abusive childhood or a military experience, uh, it can create trauma. And what we do is we try to organize that in our brain somehow. And there is a part of our brains that are very 
reptilian, very old and instinctual. And an instinctual response to trauma is to try to make sure that it doesn't happen again. You don't want to be taken unaware. So you become hypervigilant to the sight, the sound, the smell, the thought. You have flashbacks that are your brain's way of trying to make you remember this could happen, this could happen again. And you have a hyper body response like rapid breathing, rapid heart rate, sweating. Some people almost see white. They can't see in front of them. And that is your brain's way of saying fight, flight, or freeze. You're in your amygdala, which is that part of the brain we've talked about before, where you are trying to just be instinctual and survive. So post-traumatic stress really makes that happen in our brains. It is a natural way to try and survive. Now, if you are a first responder, you are getting PTSD traumas all the way from teeny tiny little ones to big, huge, horrendous ones throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout 34 years of a firefighting career. And that continual pushing on you and your psyche to stay safe takes a toll. Tell us what you see with PTSD, Will. How does it give me some things that are not the clinical psychological thing? What is, what is your experience with PTSD in terms of what people should watch for? Well, it comes in many different ways, but you know, my experience, I personally shut down. Mm-hmm. It's still difficult to talk. Yeah. It's okay. The PTSD is real. It's very real. And for years, years, I've never thought that. I mean, our culture brings us up where you, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the things that, that bug us. You know, it's part of our job. We have to deal with the things that are at hand. And then it's the aftermath. We're, we're sitting in our, our silence, for right. lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and that's when it catches up with you. Yes, when things get quiet. That's why things like PTSD, depression, anxiety, all those things are worse at night. You're laying in bed, things get quiet, there isn't all that stimulus and all those distractions, and you are there with your own mind. It's a scary place sometimes. It's a very scary place. I mean, my mind is scary in the first place. <laughs> but then when we start talking about some of the things that you know we've seen and we've done, and like you were saying earlier, there are certain triggers and smells Mm-hmm. To me, are some of the biggest ones. Um, you know, there was there was a time when I couldn't look at or eat or even be around when somebody was cooking spaghetti. And the story behind that isn't a pleasant one, but you can imagine. And it took me years, years. And when I say that, I mean probably 15 years before I can even bring myself to having a plate of spaghetti. Sure. Which was a challenge because raising my kids, that was right. one of their favorite meals was spaghetti. Right. So, and, and what I try to teach people with some of those triggers is when it's possible and when it's not destructive, you learn how to ride that dragon. Hmm. So a, an example of that is my dad was an alcoholic and the smell of whiskey on a man's breath used to make me go, <gasps> I can't stand that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then the, the person that I'm with loves to drink a whiskey and is not an alcoholic. And so he said, well, I'll just stop drinking whiskey and I said no that's my dragon I've got to learn to ride that dragon it's my old trauma and so I worked on it and I did and it isn't easy you have to with full consciousness 
eat the plate of spaghetti. Yep, absolutely. And that dragon comes, like I say, and that's just one example of that dragon. <laughs> one tiny example. One tiny example. There's well, a lot of things that, you know, ignite things. Yes. <laughs> Interesting word from a firefighter, ignite things, right. You know, I, the thing that I thought was profound, too, that you were saying to me is that they told you some things when you became a firefighter, when you're an 18-year-old kid starting to firefight. Can you share that with the listeners of what they told you to expect? Well, yeah, of course. I think uh, who was telling, who was delivering the message is probably part of it as well. But uh, it was a culture at the time of we don't talk about the bad things, and you don't show weakness, you don't show emotion. You just train, you know, work yourself through it. Right. There was no expectation for you to talk about it afterwards. And there were some pretty horrific things when I was an eighteen, nineteen-year-old young man that mm-hmm. tried out of high school. You scary. Yeah, and you don't know the magnitude of what's going to happen. And that that brings up a really good point about PTSD. You can be warned going into first responder service and you can be warned going into the military. You can be told this is going to be difficult and you're going to have things to that you're going to have to cope with. And you might say, "Oh, I can handle it. I can do it." But nobody knows how you are going to respond to trauma until it happens to you. You might be stoic and have a pretty decent reaction to it, and that might surprise you. You might crumble and feel like a total weenie because you couldn't handle what you thought you were supposed to have been able to handle. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, more information about how just how does PTSD occur in first responders. And then later on in the show, Will's going to really... He's he's just a brave man. He's going to be vulnerable and tell you more about his own personal PTSD as a way of really helping you learn. So we're going to go to break, and we'll come back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are listening to the beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis. This is a song called Love from his CD, Freedom's Hope. You can go to randymcginnis.com and listen to his music. Also Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, all of that. So we are here with retired battalion chief from Reading Fire Department, Will Francis. And he and I are discussing first responder PTSD. We would like to talk about how first responders get PTSD. What are the types of things? If you, well, if you were talking to some new rookies coming on and you were trying to help them understand what's going to create PTSD in them, and then in the last section of the show, we're actually going to do some preventative things for PTSD and teach you how to get help. But right now, teach us what first responders need to know of how PTSD is created in them. Because from a psychology point of view, what I see with the first responders I treat is that you guys get chinks in your armor. You have this, I mean, you're brave men and women fighting, uh, whether it's military or first responders, you're fighting. And all these incidences that you deal with put a chink in your armor until your armor cracks. And then you're vulnerable. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. So what I would say to a, a rookie? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things I'd say. <laughs> um, but, you know, we all sign on to this. 
knowing that we're going to have certain experiences. Most of us think firefighting is just that firefighting, but it's a lot more than that. <clears throat> Emergency services is, is a very dynamic animal, for lack of better terms. There's a lot of things going on. And first thing I would recommend or tell the rookie is that he needs to maintain situational awareness, situational awareness constantly because there's a lot of things that go wrong in an incident, whether you're going to someone's home for difficulty breathing or you're going to, you know, roll over traffic accident on the freeway. There's a lot of things that could go wrong real quickly. So they have to be constantly vigilant of what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. And they have to understand that you're not always going to be going to what you think you are. When and what's really important is that heightened awareness, that um, ready-to-do-battle puts you in a different place in your brain. Absolutely. Experiences are shoved into long-term memory for instinctual reasons, which makes you instantly more vulnerable to PTSD. Absolutely. So in fire service, we call it our slide tray. Your so what? Your our, s- our slide tray. Our slide tray. Okay. The different experiences that you see and you're doing as your job takes you through it, you'll recall it. So when you go in something similar to the next incident, you have some... Survival skills, for lack of a better term. You've got tools to pull out of your tray. You've got tools to, to pull out of your toolbox. I've always described a fire engine as a toolbox mm-hmm. because, you know, when we go to an incident, we have no idea what we're going to, first of all. They may tell us over the radio what it is, but when you get there, most of the time it is not even remotely close to what you're expecting. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, so when we, you know, we're hypervigilant. We're trying to imagine what we're going to, and then when we get there, it's most of the time, it's not even close to what it is. So right. So you don't want people to be super relaxed. You no. want them to be on guard, situationally aware. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing that I can preach to a young person coming in fire service is not everything is as it sounds or sees. Okay. There's always something more to it. So with PTSD with first responders, it isn't always a horrific fire, like the car fire last year. It isn't always something like that. Sometimes it's these... It's these little things that you go on. And okay. As an example... Now, one of my experiences that I struggle with sometimes because it's situations that you're going through in your own personal life, too. What people mm-hmm. need to understand is we're normal people. Yeah, you have, have kids and family. We have our own issues. We have our own problems. We're going through relationship struggles. We have kids that are off the reservation, and we're trying to bring them back on. And right. There's all these things going on. And then our job is to deal with that in somebody else's life. There was this there was this. <clears throat> in a frame in one of the fire stations for years when I first started, it says every day someone calls you from a nightmare. And I used to laugh at that. But the older I got in my career and the more seasoned I became, it is the reality. Mm-hmm. What we see is not such a big deal from our perspective, but it's somebody else's real emergency. Yes. And dealing with that at times can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the part of what happens in emergency services is you get you start getting cold. It's just building a wall to, to protect yourself from these exposures that you go on. They, so in the in the PTSD, or PTSD world, we call it uh, cumulative. Yeah. So yeah. all all this exposure we get is a cumulation of all these things that we're seeing. Exactly. And, you know, you can only handle so much before it finally starts bubbling up and hurting you. Yeah, your bottle gets full and you can't handle any more, which is a, just a different metaphor for the chinks in the armor. Absolutely. That it just, you can't handle any more. So to give us an idea of what P, uh, PTSD happens with first responders, give, give us an example of something that someone would consider little tiny 
and something they would consider really big. Give us a little tiny one. Like you shared with me earlier about the oh, yeah. elderly couple. So there was this time where we'd go on this, this elderly couple time and time again for some medical condition that they would have, and we'd watch them throughout this process. And, and it was years for me. We'd be going on this couple, not every day, not every week, but we'd go on them enough that we knew, their na- we knew them by name, mm-hmm. we knew their address as soon as they came in. We'd go over there and we'd help out. But one day we had to take one of them away, and I can't remember which one. I think it was the wife we had to take away in the ambulance. And to sit there and watch this old, okay. this old gentleman just break down mm-hmm. because his wife of 60, 70 years isn't there anymore. She had died and you were taking her out of the house. Well, yes, that was the end result. But, yeah. you know. We do everything we can to prevent that. But there's some things you just can't fix. Exactly. So watching that old man sitting there, what happened to you as a first responder? Hmm. There are a lot of things that happened to me. <laughs> and you realize that things aren't always as they appear. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I say that, you know, I thought I was a tough, macho, bravado fireman. Mm-hmm. You know, I can handle anything. And this wasn't even a horrific, traumatic incident. Right. It paralleled my life because of my parents. Right. So it touched you where you lived in your own life. You also felt, when you were explaining the story to me earlier, you said that your heart just broke for this man. Absolutely. He was sitting there just crying and lost and you didn't want to leave him sitting there. And we didn't. And we couldn't. I mean, he didn't have any family. And these are the, these are the kind of stories that just are tough because mm-hmm. here's this older couple, late in their 80s, maybe 90s, I can't recall. Mm-hmm. But their kids are living in different areas of the country. Mm-hmm. They had no grandkids. They had no nobody here to help support them. Right. So it was a challenge. So you actually left a couple firefighters there with him. We actually, because he, his wife was going to the hospital. We actually loaded him up in the engine. Yeah. And drove him to the hospital. Took him to the hospital. Yeah. Which, it really goes to show how much heart you guys have, too. And so, as the public, we think, oh, you're just there on a call and you're taking her to the hospital and you gave him a ride. Nobody knows that your heart's breaking for this elderly man. No. And here it is years afterwards. And it. That was me emotional. And that was how many years ago? I couldn't tell you. 20, 30 years ago? It was every bit of 20, probably. Yeah. So there's what the public would consider, okay, that was little. Give us something that a first responder, a a more extreme example of what can create PTSD. Because we're looking at the spectrum from something that would be thought little to something that could be huge. Hmm. Well, obviously anything that deals with children Mm -hmm. is a horrible nightmare. Yes. And in my practice of 34 years in private practice doing therapy and a lot with first responder and military, the PTSD that I see as the worst are the the dead kids. Absolutely. There's a complete innocent about children. Mm -hmm. And things happen to them not by fault of their own most of the time. It's uh, their guardians. Something happens, they lose track of them. 
right. the kids slip away, something, you know. And then there's the intentional ones where people actually do harm to their kids. Right. And those are very challenging because you're full of anger. Right. At the same time, you're trying to deal with what you have to deal with. So when you, when the incident's over and you're back with your crew and you're driving back to the station and or you're sitting in the station, there's a whole lot of emotions that are flowing. Right. And there's times when you don't get a chance to process or deal with those because you're off to the next incident and the next incident. Right. And because the thing we're going to come back and talk about in a couple of minutes, too, is the culture that you are in. And can you speak a moment about that? The, just give us a, a preview of what you're talking about with the culture. When I started, I was 18 years old. And the culture was very much that, you know, you are supposed to be macho and bravado and you don't talk about things that bug you. Even the ugliest of things in life that we see, you don't talk about them. Yes. You muscle up, you stuff them down, and you forge forward. Yeah, suck it up. And there's a time and a place to do that. When you're in the middle of dealing with something, you have to. Yes, absolutely. It's how you deal with it afterwards and how you process it or work your way through it that counts. And yeah. sometimes you don't have that opportunity to process because you're off to the next thing. Right, then you have to shove it under. Right. Having uh, worked for Children's Protective Services doing sexual assault and sexual abuse investigation, I had a lot of those experiences. Then off to the next one and... What you just went through is like, oh, stuff that one down. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Will has agreed to share with us his PTS journey. And this is difficult for him, but the vulnerability is important because he recognizes that letting other first responders know that even when you're a badass, tough firefighter for 34 years, you still can have emotional things that you and you need to take care of them. So uh, come join us back again in just a minute and we're going to talk about Will's PTSD. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay, and you're listening to a track of Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist's his CD, Ancient Voices, which is a CD of ancient Cherokee prayer songs. And I think it's just really fitting that Kitawa, an ancient Cherokee prayer song, is playing right now. This is a blessing to my special guest, retired battalion chief, Will Francis, who's sharing his PTSD experiences and helping other first responders know what PTSD is, what his experience has been. And then in the last segment, we're going to talk about how do you get help. So, Will, I know that this is a, a difficult thing for you to talk about, and he's been actually a little nervous about being on the show to talk about this because, you know, he's a badass firefighter dude. Sure. And he's been taught for 34 years you don't talk about this stuff. But what he is willing to do today is share with us his journey that has created PTSD in him and what he's done about it and how he has, what he's learned and what he's progressed. So, I'm just going to let Will talk here, and I'll help rescue him a little bit if I need to. Yeah, don't go too far. I won't go too far. I'm right <laughs> here. I will. I promise I will not let you drown. Okay, good. Well, how my PTS came about? Yeah, P- what is your PTSD like, and how did it start, and what's my, that journey been like for you? Well, to be honest with you, for years I never even acknowledged and didn't want to believe that uh, – 
I had such an animal with PTSD. And, you know, to this day, I still want to struggle with that just because how it was brought up in the fire service. We don't do this. We don't talk about it. We just muscle through. You know, as, as you grow through your career, you understand that now there are some things that we were taught that just aren't right. And you have to be able to recognize when your partner, your colleague, your friend is struggling with something. Because we all process things differently. Mm-hmm. I did for the longest time. I was actually, I thought I was doing a very good job of taking care of some of these horrific things I've seen and done. And, you know, what triggered me to recognize that I was having some issues, obviously is relationship issues. I mean, they come out pretty quickly in, in relationships. Um, because me, I shut down. I get very quiet and I disappear into myself. And I realized that wasn't something that was healthy by any stretch. And when I really figured out that I've got some things going on that I need to address is I was on a fire a few years back, and it was significant in the fact that I had a near-miss experience that ended up taking me to the hospital. But, you know, unfortunately, things worked out well. But it was one of these incidents or fires that you've, the back of the hair is up on end the entire time just because you're looking at the building construction on how it's laid out, and you just know that it's going to create some bad things if it's not taken care of correctly. And things were taken care of correctly. It's just there's things that happen that you just can't get away from sometimes. So my crew and I were, were way into this fire, into the interior on a interior fire attack, trying to find the seat of the fire. And something went wrong. My air pack stopped working. And mind you, I'm with my crew of three. We're deep inside this building, 75, 80 feet from the entry door we went in. Zero visibility, cold smoke, meaning that it was, when I say zero visibility, I mean zero visibility. I've been on thousands of fires. But this interior attack was different. And my hair on the back of my neck was up the entire time. It was a brick building, which is another telltale sign that, you know, you're not forcing your way out to this building if you have to. Um, And I made it very clear to my crew, we need to stay on the wall and maintain your hose line. And we were working, and we got in. Like I said, cold smoke, never found the heat seat of the fire, which told me the fire was in a hidden space. It was just filling this building up. You know, at a point I told my crew, stop, we're not going any further. We started making our way out. That same time, I had my incident within an incident. My pack went out, made quick contact with my crew, and I did everything I could to get out. And it was rather chilling. You saved your crew, and you saved yourself. My crew was in good hands. They were well capable, but they didn't realize that I had my own emergency going on. Right. Because you couldn't see each other. Right. I mean, it was, and we were right on each other's tail as we're, as we're taught and trained. Right. They were on my coattails, and I leaned back and told my partner, I got to go. He wasn't aware of what was going on. He's working his way out of the building down the hose line. And I, by the grace of God, I just held on to the hose line. I lost my helmet. I lost my radio. My mask came flying off. And I made it out, obviously. You almost lost your life. Well, it was close. I'd, I'd like to think that I wouldn't have. 
I'd like to think that the guys would have found me. But you never know. Right. And it's those things that you constantly ponder. Before that, and this was just a few years ago. This was seven, eight years ago, maybe. And when I started, I thought I was invincible. Bulletproof. I've had enough experience. I've had things going on. I've been a captain for 12, 13 years now. You know, and that's, you know, the mindset. That's typically how it goes. Everyone thinks that they're bulletproof, and you're not. You're not. Not by... So how did you know that that incident was a kind of a culmination of the chinks in your armor that ended up giving you PTSD? What what alerted you that this, I'm not doing well here? Well, I think I probably had PTSD way before that. Yes. But this that, was, that, that was just the trigger that, that made me realize, no, you're not as tough as you think you are. <laughs> that's That's... That in itself is hard to swallow sometimes. Yes. My pride gets in the way of a lot of things. Of course. Um, well, I'll be completely honest. To this day, I'm 53 years old, and I sleep with the nightlight. Because of that incident? Because of that. Yeah. I don't do the dark very good at all. Yeah. So you started to recognize that this really took you down. You were having trouble in your relationship. You were going silent within yourself. Um, the other thing you shared with me is that the other emotion that you did was anger. You just yeah. would be mad. I'm, and there's to this day, there's things that will trigger me, and I will be very angry. And I, you know, I don't take it out on anybody. Obviously, I have recognized it and I know it, and I, you know, just deal with it now. But there, I do. PTSD has created some issues with anger in me, and it's very difficult for me anymore to drive through town and not come to intersections or look at the hillside that we all look at now and see it gone. And it just, that's just how it manifests in me, is some, some anger. And so the, the anger became a call to consciousness for you. When you drive through an intersection where you took some dead children out of a car, or you look at the hills that burned and your friend Jeremy Stokes, who died in the fire, the car fire last year, and you were close with Jeremy. When you look at some of those things and you feel that rise up of anger, you are aware enough now to know that that is your call to consciousness. You're having a PTSD moment. And what I'm so proud of you about is that you have learned to do that thing I call hold the dog crap. Hold it a lot anymore. <laughs> so that anger is a call to consciousness for the things you've been through. And you hold that and you say, what am I experiencing? What's my memory here? What's my PTSD? Right. So what other symptoms of PTSD do you struggle with besides the anger and the memories and the, the vulnerability? Like uh, sleeping with a nightlight on. Yeah. it's it, it, You know, I joke about it. That's a lot of how we deal with things is our humor. Mm-hmm. I often say that's all I have left is my humor. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> you repeat that, please. I... What what other PTSD symptoms do you have? Yes. There's... Do you have flashbacks? Do you have nightmares? Do you... you no, know, I don't have a lot of nightmares. I'll have dreams, and I'll wake up in the morning and think about them. I'll talk with my wife about them. Mm-hmm. And my wife is excellent. Yeah, she's amazing. She's told me through some stuff. But I'll process them through her with talking with her mm-hmm. and you know through that we'll come up with what it means and how it, how it's affecting me and things like that 
Uh, one of my big ones is I will just get completely lazy. I'm not a lazy man by no. nature. And I will sit in my chair, my recliner, or I'll just sit out by, in the yard by the pool. and I'll just be in a different place. Mm-hmm. And it's usually my wife that will come up, tap me on my shoulder and say, hey, you okay? You know, and of course mm-hmm. I am. But it's those things that help out. The call to consciousness. Yes. And so you either do it yourself or your wife, Sherry, helps you pull that up and do that. Absolutely. And, and that brings up a point, too, because I think when some first responders or anybody with PTSD sits in silence and that monkey brain starts going and it's scary, they try to quell that with alcohol or sometimes drugs, but mo- a lot of alcohol is what I see, or escaping into something, um, work sometimes, or avoidance, or being upset at other things, not what you're really upset about. Well, exactly. And you say escaping into work is a perfect example. Mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm necessarily just bad relationship stuff. It was a lot of it was work stuff mm-hmm. that I wasn't doing well with bringing to the situation. Right. So, you know, I made a conscious decision not to ever get married again until after one, my boys were old enough to be out of the house. And that I had, and that I had, and that I had. It's PTSD. And you can, you can, a lot of PTSD, making it go away, it's about it and knowing how to deal with that animal. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay. And I think it's really appropriate that we're listening to Randy McGinnis' song called Rain from The Journey, his CD, The Journey. So, retired battalion chief Will Francis of Reading Fire Department is here in a very open and vulnerable state talking about his journey into PTSD and into working with it and learning how to manage it. So, Will, tell us what you want other first responders to know. How do they? How do they get help? What do they? What is? What do you recommend? Well, there's lots of ways to get help. It's just how open you are to go and doing it. Mm-hmm. When I first started realizing that I had some things I need to work on, you know, I started. I sought out therapy because I was having relationship struggles, and I just didn't want to do these relationship problems the same anymore and I needed to take a hard look at myself and so through that process I come to realize that you know there's always more to it than you think it's the well is deeper than you the realize well is a lot deeper <laughs> and it is cold sometimes yes and and dark yes and but you and have I a nightlight and I don't do dark <laughs> I don't do dark very well at all <laughs> Right. My wife is very good about making sure when we travel, I have a flashlight with me. <laughs> so uh, it was just recognizing that I was, you know, had some things I needed to work on. Mm-hmm. And it was through therapy and counseling for something else that, you know, through relationship issues that I discovered that, you know, part of my job of dealing with other people's bad things has really affected me. And I wasn't willing to do that for the latter part of my life. I wasn't going to sit there and pretend that I wasn't, that or pretend that I was okay with this because I wasn't. You were affected, and you had to own that. 
It was. And, and it that's was, a journey in and of itself, isn't it, it? It's a very interesting journey, and it's still going on. It's still continuous. Mm-hmm. And now I embrace it. I look forward to what I'm going to learn about myself. Uh, some of it's not pretty, but, you know, that's the reality. We can pretend that it's it's not there when it really is, or we can deal with it. It's like you said, you're holding the dog garbage in your hand. Right. And I do that a lot often. And and it's refreshing to me. I'm yes. I'm happy. Not no, not just since I'm retired, but I'm happy now, happier than I've ever been. Partly because of my wife and everything we've worked through to get to this. But to have you ask me to come talk about this is huge. It's gigantic. At first, when I was asked, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't want to do it. I don't talk on the radio. I don't want to talk on the radio about any of this. <laughs> this is my own stuff. But I love my job being a fireman. Mm-hmm. And if I can talk about this openly, it shouldn't be that difficult for anybody else. Yeah. Because I was very much that macho bravado fireman. Things didn't bother me. Scoop up this person, take care of that person, move on to the next. It was no big deal. But that's not how it works. No. And one of the things that I truly respect about you, Will, is that your commitment to helping young firefighters coming up through the ranks recognize the trials and tribulations of being a firefighter. And you are someone at RFD that younger firefighters have always been able to go to, any firefighter, not just a younger one, and say, ah, B.C. Francis, I'm struggling. I, I'm hurting. And you listen. You're not somebody who pushes them away. First responder suicides are real, and they come from this culture, this awareness, and this silent rule that says shove it under, don't talk about it, Um, don't talk about the drinking you're doing to mask it, don't talk about the domestic violence in your household because we don't do that, Um, don't talk about the things that are you acting out as somebody that might do. And you're saying own it, wake up. Get help. Absolutely. I mean, for yourself, primarily, mm-hmm. but for those around you, yes. your loved ones, yes. your friends, your kids. I mean, my realization that there was more going on wasn't always just the fact that I was in therapy, but I, was, I got very distant. Like I said earlier, I got quiet. I disappeared. Um, and by nature, we're social butterflies. You know, we like to be around people. It was one of my closest friends. They called to check on me because I was off the radar. And I was off the radar for a long time. And when I say a long time, I'm talking weeks, mm-hmm. maybe a month or better. And that's, you know, him and I are very close. So for him not to hear from me, he knew something was wrong. So you were showing up for work, doing your job, going home and being silent. Absolutely. I was, I'd like to think I was on my game when mm-hmm. I was at work. I was very proud of what I did. And I took great pride in making sure that my crew was safe and the public was in great hands when we were working. Yeah. And when I get off, it was a whole different ballgame. I was in my own little world, and a lot of people didn't know that. Um, but you can see how if left in your own world with your own thoughts that can become very toxic with PTSD. Absolutely. That sometimes you think the only recourse is to end your life. Right. And you are a living testimony 
Will Francis. You are living testimony that you can face PTSD, you can work it, you can be a better man for your PTSD, be a better person, not just male or female here, be a better person Absolutely. for having faced your demons and ridden your dragon. And I'm going to be very honest. There's days that I struggle with it, but there's days that I know that it's worth it. And by it's worth it, what's the it? My grandson. So when you look at your grandson and you see his bright little face, I know you adore him. Oh, I love him. (laughs) When you see him, you know that pushing through the PTSD to be this really neat papa now and to embrace him and you have your sons and you, you have a life. I have a great life. You have a wife who totally gets you. I just adore your wife. Mm-hmm. She is an absolutely amazing woman. She gets you. She's there for you. She's supportive for you. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that make all this worth it. If you hadn't faced what a butthead you could be in relationships before, you couldn't be this wonderful guy now. Well, I would, I would bet money that my wife would say there's still times when I'm a butthead. But that's just of the nature of the beast. It is. You know, all of us can be... Not our best selves at times. No, but she does a very good job, very tactfully and lovingly reels me in. Yeah, kicking you in the butt. Yes. <laughs> and she did recently. I had I had an event that happened with my grandkids, and it's embarrassing to talk about it, but my grandson and then uh, Sherry's kids were up grandkids, and they're all ours. They're right. our grandkids. So, so you I had, had four grandkids. I had three. Oh, three. Had three three grandkids. grandkids, and we had them for two weeks. And... We had great plans. We were going to the lake for four or five days, and we went camping for a couple of days, and then we we're going to come home and just hang out around the house in the pool for a couple of days. And kids are kids. They bicker. So we had a four-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 12-year-old. You, The dynamics are different in every age group. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of bickering going on. And throughout the time, I would talk with them, tell them, hey, this is how we do it. We don't bicker. You stop, stop that. Well, we got home, and they were swimming in the pool, and they were going off, and I literally lost it. Made them all get out of the pool, sit on the end of the pool, and then rid them the riot act in world, Will's world. Right. My wife happened to hear it, comes comes out, taps me on the shoulder, Will, go inside. Mm-hmm. You know, and I felt horrible about it, but that was part of my PTSD. My patience was yeah. at its end. I couldn't deal with it anymore. And it was after the fact that I realized, wow. That is PTSD. That is, that you is, know, PTSD raises its head in some really weird ways. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's real possible, Will, that, that we may want to come back and do a whole other show on more in-depth on this because we're out of time now, and you have so many wonderful things to share with first responders. But I want to tell you that I am deeply grateful for you being brave and vulnerable and sharing this PTSD journey with people. You do not know how many lives you may have saved right here today. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And I love that. So I want to thank Battalion Chief Retired Will Francis of Reading Fire Department for coming here and with such blatant, beautiful honesty, sharing with us his journey into PTSD and learning how to ride that dragon and be a better man for it. And I I just have deep, respect and regard for you and what you've done and thank you for your 34 years of fire service so thank you everybody for tuning in and please feel free to share this and my podcast that follows you can 
access the podcast. Share it with people that this might help, even if you're just wondering if they have PTSD or not. Get them to listen to it, because with Therapy in a Nutshell, we're just trying to heal the world one hour at a time. The Reading Rancheria Head Start Program is a comprehensive preschool learning environment where everyone is respected and included. Rancheria is really good. You know, they do a lot of stuff with the community and for the families. And especially a Head Start like this, uh, they give 150% towards the kids. It's a really awesome program. The program is planting seeds. They get more education here. So this is a great, great Head Start. What I really like about the Head Start is they're really into their culture. They work on their language, both Wintu and Pit River. The Reading Rancheria is giving people an opportunity to grow, helping build this community into a stronger place, and they're very proud of their heritage. Coming together for the kids in education, it's, it's, it's powerful. The Reading Rancheria Head Start program is free to those eligible. Learn more and enroll at ReadingRancheria.com. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.